Joe Griggs is a beloved Australian TV personality and icon who has graced our screens for over two decades. She's perhaps best known for her role of the host of Better Homes and Gardens, which remains one of Australia's most popular lifestyle programs. Her extensive career at Seven Network has seen her host a wide range of popular programs, including Seven Summer of Tennis, Melbourne Spring Racing Carnival, Seven Weekend News, just to name a few. Jo has hosted eight Olympic and Paralympic Games, and before her successful television career, she represented Australia in swimming, winning bronze at the Commonwealth Games in 1990 and silver at the 1991 World Championships. In 2020, Jo was awarded an AM for the Australia Day Honours for her remarkable contributions to community health, television and sport. Since 2014, she's served as a board member of Beyond Blue and has worked very closely with the Humpty Dumpty Foundation and the McGrath Foundation. Jo's infectious passion, professionalism and magnetic personality shine through in this episode. It'll leave you with a deeper understanding of why prioritising health, maintaining a strong work ethic, self-belief and mental game leads to long-term success. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Steph Prem and I'm your host of Mindful Mess, a podcast where we speak with some of Australia's favourite sporting, health and business personalities about how they find balance in today's world. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are. Welcome to Mindful Mess. Thank you. It's great to have you this morning. I'm so shocked. You just told me a story about how you're not a daredevil at all. And I am still mind blown because I thought you would be full of adrenaline and you were just telling me you were in a race car and didn't even hit 100 kilometres. No, I um, I think I'm that conundrum of uh, people imagine because of all the amazing opportunities that, that I get given through my work that I must be this huge daredevil. I'm scared of heights. I'm incredibly cautious. I'm like captain of road rules. And uh, so I think uh, my husband always says to me that he he married the school nerd and I think there's probably something in that except that I was hardly ever at school, so that's ironic. But, yeah, no, I I – don't have that gene. I'm hyperactive, super hyperactive, and I find my ways to release my energy, but um, that that does not involve anything that is uh, full of adrenaline and craziness. I think I used to be prior to kids, but, you know, my boys are 27 and 26, but I think the older you get, the, the more scared you get. <laughs> that is so interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, I go completely the other way to you and I'm, I'm so adrenaline fueled and go in search of it almost. That's why you did that crazy sport of snowboard across. <laughs> like literally, that's, that is one of the, the, the wildest things to watch on the slopes. I, I would be the opposite. I would be the person who is, I don't know, doing the, the, the pizza slice, going as slowly as I could, <laughs> waiting so that there was a gap on a mountain where I didn't see anyone within 50 metres. I mean, I, yeah, I'm absolutely hopeless with stuff like that. You'd be like my mum on the sidelines, <laughs> yeah. just like travels halfway around the world to watch me compete and then closes her eyes yeah, the entire time. That would definitely be me. <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, I'll stick to frozen sports, uh, frozen water sports, and, and you can stick to the actual water sports. And we, we all find our strengths in life, let's just say. But, I mean, long before your successful television career, you were a professional swimmer, as <laughs> as we know, Australian champion, Commonwealth Games medalist. I would I would go as far to say that you've had a champion mindset, uh, you know, since a very young age. Would you say that this is 
something that's carried over into your now media career? I would say, first of all, I'd say I was a very average swimmer in a really brilliant team. So I don't, I know I, I know I know I accomplished um, you know things I can be really proud of, but really in the era that I swam in, that was just like a drop in the ocean. Um, but one hundred percent, I think every single skill that is of value in the thirty years since I've retired has all come out of sport. It's it's the things that you learn which are really really important along the way. So it's things like. Um, you can be criticised mm. because your whole coach is there to criticise you and you learn about the value of productive criticism because you're always going to get so much more out of people when you, you're you not trying to just you know, destroy their soul at the same time. But when you're an athlete, you, you learn to look at what works, um, work out what doesn't work and leave that behind. And I think in television uh, and, and media in general, that's really, really important and a really, really important skill to have where you don't take it on board as something that that you hold in your heart and you're still thinking about two years afterwards, which a lot of people do, you know, the days of social media, they'll have 5,000 positive comments, they'll have one negative comment and that's all they think about for the next week. I'm able to leave that stuff behind. Um, I'm able to understand what teamwork means, which is really, really important. I'm able to have fantastic time management. I'm able to have fantastic self-motivation, incredible discipline, whether that be discipline in managing my workload or discipline in managing my sleep and my rest because for 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 me personally that's just as important as as what I'm doing you know that's filling up my days so you learn you learn all these different skills along the way that that as an athlete they helped you you know get from one end of the pool to the other faster but they actually help you in every single aspect of of, of your life going forward and i think that's sometimes that's what's underestimated in sport people think it's about winning and losing i mean it's okay to lose and it's okay to to you learn a lot more about yourself in in those moments that are that are tougher but it's actually all the other stuff that you pick up along the way about how you work with people about how you you lift the people around you and that actually helps you um about how you manage all those little things along the way that's what sport teaches you and so I don't think there's a day in my life that goes past where I don't draw on something that I learned which purely came through through sport and my upbringing um that I don't use in my day-to-day activities it's incredible I mean you touched on on discipline yeah. then. And I think it's something that I live by as well. And I think a lot of people assume as an athlete that you're just naturally motivated. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of swimmers who hate getting out of bed early in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, I, I, I wasn't one of those people, but discipline is discipline is taught. Sleep is taught. Mm. Um, how you manage your time is taught. Learning to say no is taught. I mean, they're all behavioural things mm-hmm. that you can actually control. But discipline is, you know, for me, I'm disciplined. I mean, I'm, I'm a list writer, so discipline for me is, is writing out my list each day and ticking them off. I get a satisfaction out of that. Discipline for me is making sure that I actually do find the time for everyone that I need to to feed my soul, that you can't you can't just go down the path just of work and think you're going to be completely happy. You've got to have balance in your life always. So all those things take discipline because it's very easy to take everything that you want to, you know, every opportunity that comes up. But sometimes saying no, it will actually give you a lot more um, quality of life as opposed to quantity in your life. I've had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> I think a lot of people learn the hard way. My name's Steph. I'm a yesaholic, <laughs> but I, I've, I've definitely had to learn the power of no thank you yeah. and how powerful it can be. I assume you've had to be very disciplined with your health as yeah. well. I, I think you learnt at a very young age, the yep. importance of health or lack of. Yep. <laughs> um, we were just touching on, you know, how much of a huge role that played in in our sporting careers. Yeah. 
And how much of that has carried over for you? Hugely. So at 17, I had chronic fatigue syndrome, which back then was like an alien syndrome. No Mm. one knew what it was. How frustrating. It was incredibly frustrating and frustrating because, again, as an athlete, you if you have a problem, you deal with it and then you move forward. Chronic fatigue, you take two steps forward and one step back for years. Ten steps back. Yeah, ten steps back. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you can't even get out of bed and, and you're dealing with a whole range of symptoms which doesn't make any sense to anyone. I mean, I, they, they understand a lot more about it now and I think people have a, a greater understanding and I think there is a, a lot more literature and support and there's a, you know, certainly practitioners who who specialise in it, which back in mm. the day was unheard of. And so I'm, I still believe that that was a result of taking too many antibiotics when I swam, which if we sneezed, uh, we were just pumped full of antibiotics. Wow. Ironically, since I stopped swimming, I've only had antibiotics three times in my life. That's over, <laughs> you know, over 30 years ago. Um, and so... You know, at 17, when you're meant to be bulletproof and, you know, to having just come off winning a medal at the World Champs and the year before a medal at the Com Games, I, I basically was really unable to get out of bed, um, suffering fevers, pains, aches, headaches, um, you know, just after oh, a thousand different things. It's so long ago to even think back to that period, but it was incredibly confronting. And I learned, I learned a lot, learned a lot about human nature. I learned that people, um, which has actually helped me, I think, in everything I've done since uh, mm. since sport, that people, if they're confronted with something that they can't find a quick fix to and they can't find a very easy answer to, they just avoid it. And so at 17, I, I within a couple of months, lost all my sponsors and I was one of the few swimmers who was making a great living out of, of swimming at that point. Mm. And I had, I think, over the course of the year after that first flush of everyone coming to visit and everyone coming to say day and being very concerned yeah, you know, when there wasn't an easy fix and there wasn't an easy answer, over the rest of that year, I only had five friends who constantly came back. So I look back on that time now and it was incredibly challenging on a, a number of different levels, but it was also the greatest gift that that sport, that life gave me because you learn a lot about yourself. You learn how to be comfortable with yourself because you spend a lot of hours by yourself. Um, and so you- can be very isolating. Very isolating. And you also have to- you have to, at the end of the day, be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you have done everything possible in your power to have a better day the next day than the day that's just passed. And you have to be quite comfortable in your own skin. And that that took a while. I think every every person goes through that stage in their life where they have to actually like who they are. So all that mm-hmm. happened through that period. It changed my diet dramatically. I, after two and a half years, I was on a wheat-free, yeast-free, egg-free, corn-free, malt-free, sugar-free, beef-free, dairy-free, herb-free, spice-free, caffeine-free diet. I was then limited by what I could actually have cooked in the same meal. So I had to be very careful of acidic foods and had to be careful of the combinations of what I put together. So that became a different challenge and that probably has instigated why I love cooking so much because, you know, my, my parents took it on as a, a challenge. Okay, well, what can we cook with and what can we what can we do to make it interesting and what flavours can we come up with? And so I, I couldn't have coffee you know, or tea, but I could have dandelion tea. So that ended up becoming something that we'd use as a base for marinades in cooking and so you just you just Amazing. look at what what you can do and turn it into an opportunity um I, I now eat and drink anything that I like but I know what foods if I start to get run down what to take out of my diet still 30 years wow on. that's fascinating and I definitely know the value mm. of what you put in your mouth and and how how that can actually play out um, on your system and and now ironically we were talking before you know we have in our family celiacs pescatarians vegans vegetarians meat eaters and and we do all the entertaining and we do all the cooking for all of them I don't find that a challenge to me it's just 
just have a look at what the parameters are and work work within it. And you learn to cook really great food. And and most, I think the biggest thrill I get is when people don't even realise that a dish is a vegan dish or a dish is, you know, for a celiac, they just love the food that's put in front of them. And that's 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 to me is when my heart feels the fullest, when you that's when you've succeeded. That is pure joy. I, what do I have to do to get an invite to Christmas lunch, Joe? As a celiac myself, you are speaking my language. I walked into your living room today. Joe's cooking. We're sitting at her Christmas, half set up Christmas table. Uh, long way off set up, but we're getting there. Telling me all about this menu. And I, I love that. And yeah. like you, I love surprising people yeah. and they don't know, you know, they get so shocked. Even And I can imagine... You're talking about making all of these sacrifices, all of these changes to your diet in sport. This is 20, 30 years ago, as you yeah. said. That It's still hard today. But it was also, we changed the sports science as well. So we, yes. we um, you know, we, basically I, I went back too early because this is how far back we're going. That's when they changed backstroke turns. Mm. And so I used to sleep with a heart rate monitor on and if I woke up and my heart rate was too high, I wasn't allowed to train or allowed to compete. And we wow. had a couple of instances where I had to race because I needed to get some race practice with the new turns. Of course. Um, and I ended up back in hospital with pleurisy within two weeks of, of this weekend in Canberra and, and I had to pull out of the 92 Olympic trials. And it became a really big issue. And I remember Alan Jones was one of the people who was instigating the battle about how you know antiquated the rules were. I, I wasn't asking him to have that battle for me. The rules were really simple as an athlete. Mm. You have to have trials. You know when the trials are. If you miss trials, you're out of the team. Yes, it's heartbreaking, but but that's that's the rules. And so I remember there was this huge debate around around that based around me, even though I hadn't asked for it. I was just ready to accept it, go away, have a break, which I ended up I ended up going away for six months and modelling with Vivian's and and not looking at a swimming pool and then deciding I, I, it, I wanted to give it one last go just so I could see if I could get back, if I could control all the things I could control. So I knew what I had done to mm. put myself in that position. So what if I didn't do that? What what could the result be? And it was against doctor's orders and it was against, you know, all the recommendations that we'd received from lots of different practitioners. But I had a coach who was like, great, well, let's have a look at, let's look at what we're doing to your body. And so, you know, I was a sprinter. Mm. We were doing as much training as the long distance swimmers were, who were doing as much training as the marathon swimmers were. I mean, it was just such a weird period in sport anyhow. Mm. You know, there was the way it had always been done to where we are now. Like I go and do stories on the athletes now and I'm so, I just stand there in awe of the sports science that's now involved. Like sometimes I wonder if it's gone too far that way. <laughs> Blown away by the amount of recovery. Well, to, it's like they're, 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 you know, they've got all these different machines. They're diving in a pool and they're looking at how, you know, aquadynamic or hydrodynamic they are under the water. They're, they're measuring the, you know, the pressure of the blades that they're putting through. Like it is phenomenal. Whereas back then all we had is, you know, heart rate monitors and, and we just cut back all of our training so that we went from doing massing amount of training to, okay, what are the things we need to be a sprinter? Explosive starts, mm. explosive turns. So how can we make them more efficient? How can we do short bursts of training? How can we increase our, you know, sort of um, aerobic training as opposed to the distance training? And it's managing your own measurables. Yeah, Without 100%. all the gadgets and the science and the yeah. research and everything they have now. It's incredible, really. It, it is incredible. And I, I finished in March of that year, I finished number one in the world, which – is in March. I mean, you know, as an athlete, that's Incredible. hilarious. That's like saying, oh, I was number one in the world on day one. Um, no, it, it's it, not. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> it except does. for me, I hit that wall and everyone thought I was back and Australian mm. swimming thought I was back. And I always remember the crowd was pretty mm. excited that day and the officials were excited because everyone had known what a struggle it had been to. But I knew as soon as I hit that wall, that was it, that I was, I was done with swimming. 
And not because I hated swimming. I love swimming. I mm. love I love the friendships. I love the life it gave me. I mean, I travelled around the world so much before the age of seventeen, uh, you know, and, and even a little bit before nineteen again. And but I, I retired at nineteen and hit that wall, and I knew that was it. Wow, almost like relief. Grateful it was for me, huge relief. Terrifying for my parents. But, you know, my mum. I always remember her saying, "What are you going to do?" Because they hadn't had any education. Because you know, back then we we used to have to be on the other side of the world, probably probably like snow sports. <laughs> Very similar. Um, but, yeah, but it, as opposed to these days, people come out to Australia because we've got we've got the coaching capacity, we've got the facilities, it's not infrastructurally always yeah. in, in snow sports. <laughs> but we do in Winter a lot of, got a a little catching up to do. But, <laughs> yeah. so they My parents say, here. why didn't you take up swimming, for God's sake? <laughs> <laughs> Took up the wrong sport. You're Australian. You followed your passion. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they, I mean that, that, that is the difference there. And we used to just travel endlessly and constantly. Mm. Um, so as a result, I didn't have much of an education. And so my mum's fear was, what are you going to do now? 19 with, with nothing. Not a, you haven't even got any certificates. You've got no exam results behind you. What, what are you going to do? And I you know, naively said that I would give media a go, not realising now, which I know now 30 years on, how every athlete says that's what they're going to do and <laughs> every athlete hopes will come to you. And I realised yeah. how lucky I am that it just doesn't, it doesn't eventuate for so many of them in the way it did for me. I mean, I had three network contract offers within 24 hours. Really? Yeah. So this is a natural transition for you? Well, it wasn't really natural because I was pretty awful on air. And Come I, on. No, I, I'm actually being seriously honest. I, I, I went to Seven because they promised training and learnt the first rule of television is that they will say anything to get you to sign a contract. And then once that's contract wow. signed, it doesn't mean anything. I had no training. I was diabolical on air. I mean, I, I've over the years, so many people have come up to me to say, they they love watching it because they've watched it from those first awful awful years where I I just unlike sport where you have somebody telling you what to do the thing that blew me away with media is no no one tells you what to do they tell you when you do something wrong mm. but don't ever sit there and say so these are the rules of TV and and, and you know follow this and you you won't make an absolute idiot of yourself and if you don't you'll be basically learning through public humiliation like. If they said that, it would be really easy to learn. It kills me even now how little mentoring goes on within the industry, how wow. how people are so afraid to share what they know because I think they think they, they won't get work. What I've learned over the years is there's plenty of work for everyone. And actually what's really lovely is when you can help someone avoid having those moments. And, and so that to me is something I've always tried to do. Again, it comes out of what I experienced and what I went through. I, I can say firsthand that is something that you do <laughs> working with you earlier Thank this you. year uh, when we did the Olympics. You were just fantastic. You gave such direction. And, and we're coming in as as athletes. We're giving expert opinions. We, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. But it's still a very intimidating environment. Awfully intimidating. And, and, and camera angles and knowing where to look or, or where, what you do with your hands. I mean, all those things that, that people, as soon as they put a camera, anyway, everyone thinks it's easy until they have a camera in front of them and they just freeze and go... What do I do? Absolutely. You make it look so easy. And I remember you just gave me these couple of little <laughs> tips and a few giggles in the change room beforehand. Yeah. And it just it's makes important. all the difference. Yeah. It, it's putting people at ease, like you said. And I thought that was such an interesting throwback to sport, how yeah. you're saying that team environment. It's all about the how team. you learn that? That's so It's all about the team. Interesting. And I used to go to my bosses when I would be diabolical on air. And I knew mm. I was, I mean, I had enough of an ego to know I was diabolical on air. I mean, I was so raw. I would talk to the person who was talking down my earpiece. 
Yeah, they'd say, don't say that again. I'd be like, what did I say? And they'd be like, don't say that on air. And I'd be like, oh, my God. You know, like it was that bad. That's fantastic. It was that bad. I mean, I have so many clangers from those early years that we just giggle about it now. But also they they would put me in situations where they knew that they could potentially put you in a a situation when there was a clanger. And I think one of the most um, amazing moments in my career was Years later, the first Winter Olympics that I hosted mm. in 2002 and I was becoming the first female solo host of any Olympics coverage in Australia. Incredible. Uh, and and I was over there and, and there was so much security, you know, post 9-11 and, uh, and basically uh, my phone rang in my room and I recognised a voice straight away because I knew exactly who it was because it, it, it was my one of my original bosses. Okay. And he said, come down and have a drink in the foyer. And so I went, yep, and I came down and he said, why did you do that? Like I could have been a, a murderer. And I went, no, no, I knew who it was. I don't forget a voice. Like I don't forget you. I'm definitely not going to forget you given you know, what we had been through. And I said, um, yeah, what are you here for? And he said, well, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I was like, what do you need to say sorry You're for? You're kidding. He said, no, I need to apologise for the amount of times that we would just literally piss ourselves laughing, put you in a situation where we just knew that it could have gone diabolically wrong. And he said, and often it did, but you would just laugh or you'd make the person with you feel okay. And he said, wow. you'd pick yourself up, you'd shake yourself off and somehow you'd turn it into a positive. And he said, we did that quite often. We would sit, we would literally sit back in the truck and nudge each other and go, let's see how she goes with this. Threw you in the deep end. And he goes, so now I'm apologising because he said, how ironic is this? Here you are solo hosting an Olympic Games coverage, the first time in Australia for a female, and I'm unemployed. So I just came to say I'm sorry. And I was like, that was huge of him to do. Wow. Right? And I just said thank you because it it validated what you thought was going on but you could never actually say. And, I, and I'm never backwards and coming forwards. I challenge the bosses all the time on absolutely anything and everything if I feel like there's something that, whether it's my battle or somebody else's mm. battle. But when you're starting out, and, and you, you don't even know how the industry works, you might have an inclination that that's what's going on, but you, you'd never probably say it out loud and you'd never probably um, challenge someone until you actually know how it all works. Mm. So I thought that was really big and really big in the power of, of what a conversation can do for people and how a conversation can can just turn things around for people. And so, you know, all the, all the things that we're talking about, yeah, everything I've done in the last you know, eight and a half years, I've got another six months where I'll be working with Beyond Blue. I've been on the, a director of the board of Beyond Blue for the last eight and a half years. Ironically, all those things that you learn also shape what you do outside of sport and what you do outside of media mm. because the power of a conversation can never, ever be underestimated. Ever. That will sit with you. For always, always. So many transferable skills yeah. that you've taken. And I mean, testament to you being an athlete, you know, even you say your short, short-lived but successful career it has, I think, gave you the work ethic, yeah. the strength, the <laughs> resilient the mindset. self-belief. To, yes, to push through. Resilience is, is a really big key thing. It's like such a buzzword at the moment. Mm. But, but I think sometimes resilience is also, you know, we have this thing in society, everything always has to be great. It doesn't have to be great. No one's life is great mm-hmm. 24-7. Mm-hmm. You're going to have challenging moments. You're going to have you know, disappointing moments and you're going to have moments where you, where you fail. What blows me away in society is that we, we keep teaching people that failure is a bad thing. Failure isn't a bad thing. I always say to people, I made lots of mistakes. I made lots of mistakes one time. I didn't make the same mistake twice. And, and that is, that's the key because that's what you learn from. And that to me is, is the essence of resilience. You, you are going to have those moments where you feel like a complete failure, 
but it's what you learn from them and it's how you move forward. That's what gives you the psychological strength to keep pushing through. Like you said, fail fast and then move on. I love what you said about not holding on to it. Don't don't hold on to it. And don't do it again. Yeah. 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 I think if you make the same mistake 10 times over, then then there's a whole different conversation. We're not learning. (laughs) But I I have to circle back to the Olympics, obviously something close to my heart. You said, you know, I'm I'm sure it it was a huge part of, of your career. You've hosted eight Olympic Games, is that right? And three Paralympic Games. Which is wonderful. Yeah. And at six, am I correct, of which you've hosted solo? Yeah. And the only female to ever do so? Yeah. It's just phenomenal. (laughs) I have to ask you, in the in that time, over those years, personally, what was what was your career highlight throughout that time? But also I'd love to know your biggest sporting highlight. From that time. God, that's hard because there have literally been so many. Like you're such a privilege. You know what it's like when you when you work on them. And the moments that that you witness. Okay, so first, obviously the first one, hosting Sydney, was an amazing risk for them to take. So I co-hosted that with Andrew Dado. We had an incredible location, and only because it was our hometown and Sydney just was so magical. Like it gets me so excited to think what Brisbane will be like. It, and everyone still talks about it fondly because it was that exceptional. And we had this location where some media executive had actually – been sacked, but he had this incredible place down right underneath the um, Harbour Bridge in the Opera House. So we had this unbelievable location, unbelievable view in this empty home that we had a balcony. So, you know, things like you'd have Greg Norman running across the Harbour Bridge and then he'd just come around the loop and then next second you'd be interviewing him and all these crazy Fantastic. moments. You know, had Thorpe having that incredible Olympic Games, Kathy. Wow. And, yeah, I remember watching, like, Kathy's race is one that always stands out because because of the hours that we were, we were working and up at crazy hours, I always remember I got up to watch her race, which sounds ridiculous because it was, you know, in the evening. But because I'd be so disciplined and be in bed early, I, got up, I had no one to watch the race with oh. because originally I was coming home and then that was just upsetting my kids leaving each day and also being so tired. And so they just put us into accommodation around the corner. So I rang room service and, and ended up watching her race and sharing her moment with one of the staff at the hotel that we were in You're where we kidding. just jumped around like banshees. Oh, right? I love that. But it was just like it shows you the power of sport. It doesn't matter what you're doing but you can get caught up in it. And that's why I love sport. Sport can, you know, it's 99% of the time it's positive and even mm. out of the negatives you can generally turn a negative into a positive. I agree. It's so uniting. Right? It's unbelievable. Mm. You can go back all through history, you go back through through all those moments that have been incredibly challenging in people's lives whether it be through disease or whether it be through, you know, terrible economic situations, the one thing that can still unify them is sport. So mm. I don't know, that first Winter Olympics, I mean, all the moments that you get to witness of the the, the first gold medals, <laughs> the first medals and the first gold medals, then the, you know, two gold medals within a couple of days. Like they're just, they're so, there's so many standout. I don't know. There's, there's so many surreal ones. Like, so, And I think, actually when I think about it, I think probably the key moments for me probably all tie up with with who I was with in those moments. So it sounds bizarre because often when you're in a studio, you just have a crew mm. and you have the cameras. And so people think that you have this you know, massive thing. It's so intimate in the end. It's so intimate. And often when you're doing the same thing with these people for years and years, and most people I work with, I've worked with for decades. So you have these surreal moments. Like I, I can remember 2002 and 2006, they didn't want us in a studio. They wanted us in just gorgeous locations. Their attitudes were um, we have to do something differently with the Winter Olympics. It's going to be stinking hot in most of Australia. Um, So what we want to do is even if people don't know the athletes, 
which is a shame. But even if they don't know the that's athletes. A, that's our reality though. That's... Let's, let's put you in great locations where they can have some escapism from the heat. So we would just be traipsing up and down the side of the most picturesque, amazing mountains, you know, often in the most, like you'd be standing in a river, which people never saw, but you'd be standing <laughs> on a rock in a river and, you know, with this amazing backdrop, but you'd be doing, you know, all your bits and pieces from there. So, so it paints you the picture. Paints of- you the picture so that hopefully and then and then always with that, um, the idea of storytelling, so whether it be an Australian athlete or whether it be an international athlete, just give them enough of a picture that they know someone who they can look out for. And then if they have any inclination and they remember the name or they remember the story, that's what hooks them into watching the event. And then when they watch the event, they fall in love with the event because they start to understand the event. But the hook has to be you've got to give them something that gives them an emotional reaction, whether they love them, hate them, or in between. But you, you want them to have a reaction. And that was our whole goal with with thing. And I think I carry that through in all the all the sports that I've done. You have, absolutely. <laughs> and you, I think you take everyone in and I think that has a huge part to do with why Australians are so obsessed with athletes, not just sport itself, but we want to know the backstory. We want to know where they've come from and how they got to where they got to. And, you know, how from someone out back in Australia is now snowboarding on top of a mountain or swimming in the Olympics. It's fascinating. I think that's why I love the Paralympics as well, because, you know, if you love storytelling, Mm. the, the Paralympics takes that next level again. Because most of the athletes have been through 10 times what anyone will go through in a lifetime and often several times within their own lifetime. And so I think I think as far as uh, getting to know and tell the stories, that that has been because you've got to be careful around the language, you've got to be very respectful around educating the public about whether it be conditions or whether it be, you know, physical ailments that somebody's got. Of course. It is so awesome to work on that like I think that's probably my favorite if I had to if I have to pinpoint out of all the Olympics and all the Paralympics I'd have to say the the Paralympics have actually been the highlight I love that I think everyone should go to a Paralympics in their lifetime go to it watch it support the athletes get to know their stories like they don't train any less than any elite level athlete they are elite level athletes exactly yeah I think I think you know Sydney was great because they filled stadiums but but what's better are the conversations that you can have out of the Paralympics that you hope will actually possibly spark a greater conversation and change within the community. And I think certainly this year, the Olympics that I did with Kurt Fernley, mm. right? Kurt is one of these amazing people who every time he opens his mouth, what comes out is just gold. <laughs> like it's just gold. He just has this amazing ability to capture either the essence of a person or their struggles or the bigger picture or the history of, of how far mm. the Paralympic movements come. And Working with him was just such a joy. And, and yeah, again, yeah. he was green. He hadn't, hadn't done anything like that. Mm. And after the first four days, he kept saying to me, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I'm, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. believe me, you can do this. You're, you're doing this exceptionally well. But what I am going to teach you is I'm going to teach you how to throw in and out of the events. I'm going to teach you how to do all these things because you don't have to just be doing the special comments. Like, like what would be great for me is if you have those, all those amazing, amazing sporting events, if you could just have people who were the athletes who had that skill set, that would be the ultimate. I would sit on my couch happily forever watching that. I agree. I love that. Yeah. Love that. Sign, sign us all up. <laughs> I mean, you transitioned uh, so beautifully, I think, or you do still between sport and lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, we can't not mention Better Homes and Gardens. No, I love Better Homes. 17 years? No, 19 years 19, for me. Yeah. The show is on next oh. year is our 29th season and 28th year on air. So it's like it's amazing in terms of any show globally. Oh. 
it's all positive. That's what I like about it. It used to be an hour, but it's been 90 minutes for the last couple of years. So you have 90 minutes of positive television that celebrates people and you're never trying to make somebody look silly or sound silly or trip them feel up. Good. Or, it's feel-good television. Mm. And it's, and we had a real resurgence um, during COVID, which I think was people just wanting something that was, one, not negative, and two, a little bit familiar, and three, people watch it and they learn stuff, whether it's great stories or whether it's, you know, through COVID we made a point we could only travel around New South Wales at that point for the ones of us in New South Wales and the Victorian ones could travel around Victoria. Mm. But we made a point of finding fantastic stories of people whose lives have been turned upside down with COVID but had turned them into positives. It is such an exceptional show to work on, not just like I love our on-camera team. We have a great on-camera team but we have hands down I think the best production team in Australia because we have worked really hard to get people who love the show. It's so trusted. Love the show. It's trusted because it delivers and it's honest and it's authentic. And I, I, I'm so proud of the show and proud of the team behind the show, not just on camera, off camera. Anyone who I, who I work with will always say to me, it's amazing. You think you know the show from watching it on TV, but the first phone call you get mm. from somebody in the office to every dealing that you have with everyone the whole way through, that's what that's the memory that they're left with. Turn up on it on, with a crew that you've worked with. You know, one of my cameramen, he shot my first piece to camera 30 years ago. You're kidding. No, like literally like the people I work with, I have worked with my whole lifetime and we are just this world-old machine, whether we're travelling or whether – and they, the impact that they have with the people that you're interviewing is is – equally important to what I'm doing or what conversations I'm having. And the whole point of television, you just have a few minutes to make somebody feel comfortable. Mm. You know, for us on Better Homes, we might have a whole day. But even so, it's it sounds like a lot of time, but it's actually not when you're trying to get people to generally let you into their private spaces. Of course. Generally talk about something that might be a bit challenging and, and they've got to trust you. And that takes a team effort for people to do that. So, I mean, the, the lifestyle thing came about the network not seeing enough value in just me doing sports. So they wanted me to do lifestyles. So it started off with Auction Squad, then House Calls to the Rescue, then Better Homes and Gardens. But I love doing it. Like uh, it's it's bought, you know, probably incorporates everything I actually do away from from television. Um and and I, I live it and you know, I joke with people where they say to me, I I get the magazine. It's like, well I subscribe to the magazine as well. <laughs> like I literally you have I'm to. sitting. I feel like I'm sitting in one of the pages of the magazine right now. The oven's going off. I'm like, oh, what's what's going on? What's next? You, you learn. You see a lot, and you learn a lot. And and so no week of mine is ever the same, which I know is very very um, unusual. And I'm grateful for it because, especially you know, after 19 years, after all those years, and so, yeah. and, and to still love it. But when people see, like, you know, last week I was in Darwin and going out to all these remote Aboriginal communities. The week before I was in Melbourne for a week. The week before that I was in Queensland for a week. I mean, you're away a lot, but you just get to see the most amazing, whether it be architecture or meet the most amazing people. And the one thing they all share is they're passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're passionate about what they believe in or what they're doing. So how can you not love going to work every day when you're just surrounded by people who are energized and excited and and care so much about what they're doing in the world. You're like, in their happy place. You're in, yeah. And and also you're learning from them. Yeah. So it's like I I've always said, you know, obviously the network will make a decision one day when when my time will be up. And it doesn't matter. Like people always freak out when there's change in television. You're only ever a baton holder. Like I've been lucky I've been able to hold on to that baton for 19 years. But mm. to be honest, that my time will eventually come and then I'll just become a viewer. And I will still love the show and love the people. <laughs> and you will. <laughs> and I hope that's not anytime soon. And what we, what would you say, how have you, uh, I guess, managed to stay so consistent 
to have that longevity in your career? I do not know. <laughs> um, I think we I might think... need an entire <laughs> new episode for that. No, I think um, I think one thing is most people when they meet me will say what you see is what they see on TV. I think being um, authentic, and I say to anyone starting, I do a lot of mentoring with young people starting out. I say how you start is how you finish. So don't. Don't decide that you're going to go to the opening of an envelope now and then in six months' time whinge that you have no privacy. So, yeah, I, I don't, that. I don't, um, we don't go to events. Uh, we have to go, we go to the events we have to that I'm contracted to. We don't do publicity for the sake of publicity. I, I don't do publicity when the network's really mad at me because I haven't done any publicity and, and I'll do it with what I'm contracted to. <laughs> I don't accept freebies. Uh, I don't accept gifts. And that's not, not to, make a point of anything outside of it just keeps my life really uncomplicated. There can never be a question as to if I'm endorsing something, why am I endorsing it? If I'm endorsing it because I, I believe in something so badly that I've got into a contract with someone, I'll be really open about that. But you would never see me, I don't know, on Instagram going, oh, I love this product. I don't, I, I don't, don't mind anyone else doing it. But for me, I think it's a really, it's a bit of a blurry line when you're in the very privileged position I am. One, I've also never understood why people give free shit to people when they actually can afford it in their lives. Like I've just, everything about the whole influencer thing blows my mind. I, I don't understand it. But I've just made a choice many, many years ago. With our kids growing up, we learnt pretty early on uh, with people very interested in in private life and, you know, mm. private life failings and then private life happiness, um, that when we had kids and they were young, we just didn't do anything with the kids. and. They were never put out publicly. The only shots of them really, you know, from when they were babies up uh, to all through their teenage years were paparazzi shots, mm. um, which they think are hilarious now. And the reason Great why Great for the was, 21st. Yeah, but they, I mean, they, they wouldn't, honestly, I don't think they'd make their, well, they're now 27 and 26 this Christmas. But, you know, it meant that we could close the door and they could just be kids. And the thing, the reason why we really worked hard on that is that kids can actually be the toughest on kids than anyone else. So they needed to go through all of those disasters that kids go through. And believe me, they did. Mm. Our boys were a day under a year apart. They were wild. They were, <laughs> my gosh, we went through some horror years with them. Like I stepped away from the newsroom at one point because I realised as much as I love the rush of news, I love doing the weekend because it's a sport and you just get to watch it and you get to edit it and you get to to have that mad rush into 6pm that actually what they needed was something. Uh, you know, somebody to be there to pick them up and have all those messy moments. And people would have a heart attack if they knew the trouble that they got in, but they didn't know because we kept that door closed. And then it reached a point where the boys were like, actually, I'd really love to come to the races with you. So, well, if you go, you can never, can't ever turn your back on that. Mm. And so as long as every decision you made, you have a conversation about it. And I think understanding consequences is a really important one. And it was really important for them. So I actually think they've had a chance to grow up in, in the most normal, like everyone imagines our life as this amazing, ridiculous life. It's amazing because we work really hard. We've got a construction company. We have a farm. We have great balance in our life, uh, the balance of being surrounded by nature and all the things that I do, like I grow 85% of our veggies and I have bees and I have, you know, Todd says I'm like, you know, hobby 1,100 1, years. Um, but again, there's probably better homes and gardens influence. But, you know, I think with As you kids, said earlier, you found a way to, to have that unleash balance. your energy yeah, in no, other yeah. areas. And I, I literally have a million things on the go. Like, you know, I, I, my he built me a shed, which is half of my garden or a third for my garden, a third for whittling and a third for beekeeping. And Love he's like, that. literally, how old are you? Like, are you a thousand <laughs> years old? <laughs> but, you know, you, you find things that you love doing that, that give you, you know, mindfulness, that they give you a little bit of um, 
uh, time to reflect and and you make decisions on the way, think about the consequences, and then you never have regrets. And I'd have to say I can actually look back on 30 years and I don't have any regrets with any decision that we made along the way with that. Wow. What an amazing. Because we thought about it. We thought about conscious. the repercussions conscious for us and mm. we thought about the repercussions. You know, I've always thought about what would the repercussions be for the network. Mm. Um, and so that's always been in front of mind and I've uh, they've had an understanding of it and they've had an understanding that there is an ownership that the public have of you when you're in the public eye. So if that means every time we go to the shops it takes an extra 45 minutes, don't ever whinge about it. Look, look at the life we have. And so everything has been made with a conscious discussion or a conscious decision. I love that. It's it's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's right. Mm. It's I, I mean, I think you've paved the way <laughs> the, the last 20, 20 odd years. What's it been like for you as a woman mm-hmm. in this business that, that, that you're in? Is it something that you reflect on much either during or or at this point in your career? Yeah, I think we um I have lots of lots of discussions with with lots of people. They ask a lot of questions about that. And certainly starting out knowing some of the situations that you were put in or knowing yeah, like I can remember God, doing the Bathurst 1000 and being sent up in a ball gown to do a piece of camera at the top of the mountain. Like you literally could not hear a word I said over the chorus of people yelling out, show us you. Um, Stop. And just stuff like that, which you knew this was that men think it was hilariously funny. And I was asked the other day, actually, I did a keynote speech in mm. Adelaide and I there was questions afterwards that meant to go for 15 minutes. I went for 45 minutes. Now, great, great questions from the audience. And then a lady stood up right at the end of it and she said, you haven't said anything about the Me Too movement in television. And she said, you know, it's been great, loved hearing everything, but where do you stand on that in television? And I just looked at her and I said, look, I could I could tell you six stories where your skin would crawl off your own body and, and you know, find somewhere to, to hide away. Or I could tell you six stories about amazing people who I've worked with, both male and female, who have really led from the front and have been extraordinary. But before I do that, just put up your hand if you've watched The Bachelor, um, if you've watched, you know, The Bachelorette, um, Married at First Sight, and I basically just reeled off, you know, 10 Love Island, all these reality shows. Brilliant. And I just, and like 90% of the room put their hands up and I said, so I'm sorry, I'm not going to say a whole lot of things that will give you a headline while you are actually still dictating the rubbish that is teaching your daughters and your sons how to except a terrible way to be treated. It's teaching misogyny. It's teaching, you know, terrible habits. So I went right through all these things and I said, so until then, until you actually say no, like I don't watch a frame of any of those shows. I I did one stint in reality television. I absolutely hated it because of how they treated the contestants and how they treated the crews. And I have a very common often discussion with the network about how, if we went back into it, how it could be different and how, and how it would have to be different if I, if I would go back into it. But until people stop watching that rubbish, I'm sorry, don't give me the double standards of asking me to make a comment on what I've seen in the and industry. And the expectation. And what I've been through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well done, beautifully, beautifully handled. <laughs> I would gosh. say. And as I as I started this this question, you've been paving the way for quite a while. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't have really tough conversations with of the course. bosses and and challenge them a lot. I mean, I I, I will ironically probably be, be known as one of the more challenging people for them on this because I will I'll fight not only in the past for me. I don't really have to deal with that sort of stuff now, but but certainly for anyone who doesn't have the um, the protection of, say, a network contract. But I, I, would, I guess I would do it now 
whether I did or I didn't. Mm. And I always, I actually always remember one person in, in quite heavy discussions that we were having saying that he, his only wish was that he could have all the good parts about me. But if I, if I could possibly leave the parts about where I call out his bad behavior. And this was somebody, you know, in a wow. management role. And I just said to him, I find it amazing that you would actually say that, but also I find it amazing that you wouldn't look at it like this. Why don't you not behave badly and then I'd have nothing to call you out on? Like to me, that would be a much more productive way of looking at it. Um, but just extraordinary that, 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 you know, thankfully other people much higher up the food chain just said to me that they would never want me to walk past the behavior that I'd called out and, and that they had, you know, I had their full support. And you never know until it was when you get the full support of everyone, whether it's like the, the support of the board before you get sacked or, or whether, and I'm sure one day it will happen. But but I have always lived by the ethic, and it probably goes right back to that period we're talking about when I was sick. If I can put my head on my pillow and I I do live by certain boundaries and ethics and, and morals that I live by, I, I don't ask anyone else to live by them, but I I choose to live by them and it means that every night when I put my head on the pillow, I sleep. But I do think about them in every decision that I make. I love that. It's like you said, they're conscious choices, yeah. decisions, conversations. Conversations, battles. Sometimes they are battles where you have to go in and fight for someone, but but you do it, you do it because you're in a, first of all, you're in a great place because they can't say that you haven't always done that. So if you live by that way, it doesn't matter what they say or how they try to justify, you know, other ways that they could get around it. It's pretty black and white if you, if you just go, but that's not how I choose to live. It's not how I choose to, to work. You're being authentic. Yeah. Coming from a good hopefully place. That's, hopefully that's the answer to the longevity question, but who knows? I think it might be. <laughs> I hope so. That'd be awesome. Amongst many other things <laughs> that we've just learned. I, you touched on one of my favourite words before. I guess I, I would say that a lot of my life's work is dedicated to balance. Yeah. I think what we're all searching yep. for like you said, mindfulness yeah. or mess, as as we like to touch on in this uh, in this podcast. You are someone who loves your job. I mean, that's yeah. clear. You're very passionate about what you do. But even if you love your job, you know, I think still controlling the work life balance is critical. Yeah. Absolutely, and you, you've touched on it. But I'd love to know in a little more depth what tools have yeah. have you know, stood the test of time across all these areas for you? Exercise is one. Mm. Uh, so um, we, we still exercise a lot and sometimes it has to be a bit more sporadic because of my schedule, but we exercise. I love to cook. That is that is a way I, you know, some people find that the most tedious thing in the world. I find ironing tedious, but I like to cook, right? <laughs> I love I love creating and I love feeding people and I love making people happy. So that for me is a relaxing time. We, 17 years ago, bought a farm and we did that actually to get our kids out of Sydney because Sydney was becoming a really challenging place with two boys who were pretty wild and a lot of wild mates. And we found that once kids had space again, Mm. they actually became kids. Uh, And so we would take carloads of kids up to the farm and it was just extraordinary watching the change that would overcome them. And then wow. we realised it wasn't just for them, it was actually for us. So so what's really important to us is we have to be surrounded by nature. So whether that's animals, so we've got, you know, bees and cows and dogs, um, whether it's resting your eyes on green, whether it's, you know, walking in the bush or, or, you know, a lot of physical work happens on a farm where you're mowing and you're on a tractor, but all that, all that stuff is really important to us. And then from beekeeping, you know, the veggie growing, growing all of our food so I know where our food wow. source comes from. So you can, you know, people find that fascinating. They come up, they can't get over. You know, I didn't, I wasn't a gardener, but I've learned a lot along the way. 
so I think, yeah, keeping things so that you, you're learning stuff the whole whole time is really important. So at the moment I'm um, learning about artificial insemination of cattle and we're going wow. to do a course next year on that and hopefully that's something that we can introduce just to add to our gene pool with our, with our cattle. We don't have a huge amount of cattle but we we have a small pool of bulls that we use so we need to to expand on that and so that's a way of doing it. So you're finding things that interest you, finding things that are important to you. Like I'm a much better person when I when I do exercise. Mm-hmm. We're both massive advocates. We do stretch therapy once a week, my husband and I. Fantastic. So as you get older, it's about moving, uh, and even if it's not, even if it's not actually like physically doing the crazy training that, that I love, I still love. Like I hated running when I swam, but I now love running. So rather than do that physical stuff in the gym, sometimes for us it's actually just about going, listening to what our body needs, learning some stretches, keeping mobility, working on balance, standing for five minutes every morning on one foot with your eye closed and and then balancing the other way and working out how if you do that, you really don't need orthotics. (laughs) So there's all these different things that you can learn. So stretch therapy we do. We love infrared saunas, one for the recovery and two just for a stress reliever. Mm. So you you find the things that you like doing first and foremost. Then you find the things that give you satisfaction. So for me, it's the vegetable growing and and the farm look great or, you know, quite often with our construction company, it's home design and, mm. you know, bringing new ideas with that. It's keeping your mind sharp. It's keeping, you know, doing a bit of brain training every day. It's sometimes switching off. Like I love to knit. I'm teaching myself how to crochet. So just I have to be doing something the whole time because I'm always fidgeting. But I like to find those things that are a little bit repetitive that just you you, you find your focus on that, you switch your brain off. So finding that off button which is, you know, when I say sleep's alert behaviour, first thing they teach you in sleep therapy is is knowing what stimulates you and knowing what you can do to to wind, wind down. down. And, you know, I often my husband says, I can't sleep during the day. I said, you can sleep and you can certainly teach your body how to relax during the day. But to do that, you've got to take all those factors that that, that will distract you out of the picture. So you can actually learn mm. little things like that and just Finding that balance of, yeah, for me, I, I have to see my family. I have to see my friends. If I get to the end of the year and I feel like I haven't, I have a moment where I give myself a good beating up about it and promise that next year will be better. So then I just, I find if you just put stuff in the diary, you make it happen. Factor it in. Factor it in. Take, add it you know, to the list. Add it to the list. But 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 give people three dates throughout the year and you might have to juggle them a little bit closer to the time. But if everyone puts the dates in the diary, guess what? Those three catch-ups happen. Non-negotiable. Yeah, we're just people make the time. They, everyone wants to spend more time with each other. It's just fitting it into the, to the craziness of your of your lifestyle. Mm. I mean, that's a beautiful parlay into what I was going to ask you about wearing so many hats, <laughs> which, I, which I think you do um, between you know your TV career. You've spoken a lot about being a mother today, or a, a wife, a, a grandmother as yep. well, athlete. So many interests, so many talents. I thought it was so interesting what you said about always learning too. I think you're continuing to answer this longevity question <laughs> without even trying. But you talked about mindful practices. Yeah. But it is, you know, how do you genuinely implement mindfulness on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? You know, what strategies do you, do you draw on? So one of the most simple things that we do every morning and we make it non-negotiable is the first thing that we, we do we set our alarm 15 minutes earlier and we'll have a cup of tea or a coffee in bed. And okay. we take turns each day. It sounds ridiculous, but that is sometimes the time that we will get to connect before our days become crazy. And it's just a chance just to, to stop, to go, you know, to, to have a cuppa together, have a conversation. I love to do silly things like Wordle, Weaver, 
world. Um, <laughs> I love jigsaws. I love um, uh, uh, words with friends. So even just taking another 15 minutes out of your day or if you've got, you know, arrive somewhere early and you have 15 minutes spare, just, just switching off and doing those sorts of things. So I guess that's another way. I think that's beautiful. I'm, it's just 15 minutes. It, but that's right. It doesn't have to take, you don't have to do it forever. You no. just, just these moments. And then it's funny, there's quite a few friends and family members that will just send their stuff off to each other. And it's just like, oh, you know, I got Par and Weaver today and, yeah. you know, four for, word, you know, Wordle, whatever it is, Wordle, Wordle, Wordle's harder. Wordle's definitely harder. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you find little things and you connect with people. Just, just those little things are really important. Um, they're, the, they're the two that I would start off with. Then, then it would be exercise. Uh, then it would be, I guess, cooking within every, I'm thinking of this stuff I do daily. 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 Outside of that, it would be being in the garden. It would be, you know, with the dogs. It would be those practices that, yeah, that, that you bring actually you back. incorporate. Yep. I mean, mindfulness is essentially just a fancy word for presence, really, or finding those little moments yep. of presence, of joy throughout your day. But I think that's a clever one is the way you start your day. And also morning we rituals. don't have our phones on after we get home in the afternoons. So, you know, we, we make a point and I've done it for years with work. Um, wow. I have the hours that I'm there and I'm happy to answer a text if there was an emergency, but, but they don't need to contact you after hours. And so we make a point of like, I don't have, we don't have a landline. I think a lot of people don't have landlines now, mm. but we very rarely would take a call after probably five o'clock in the afternoon. Fantastic We made that about our family and the same way that we used to close the door and didn't matter what the public thought our lives were, when we closed the door, that was our life. These days, I'm not so worried about that because the kids are all grown up. We've got this fantastic life, but we we still make the time just for us and and we don't have all those interruptions. We've got the rest of the day. I spend the rest of my day on, you know, two devices, sometimes three. No problems at all. Do all that then, mm. sort all that out, but then there's a point where we turn off. So I always laugh. People go, oh, can I have your number and we'll catch up? I'm like, well, not if you want to catch up after five. <laughs> Doesn't happen. 4.48 yeah, and we're fine. done. We're off. <laughs> Cutting you off. I love that. That's such a, it's such a strong boundary and the practice of, of no, as yeah. you said earlier. Yeah, so, and then when your friends are over, you're actually not spending the whole time looking at your phone when you're talking to them. You're actually engaging with them. So if they come over for dinner. They have your full attention. And you pick up the phone. Like, there might be 20. Sometimes I can pick up my phone. There will be 110 messages on our family chat. And then you can go back when you climb into bed and you can have a look and see what you've missed. But, but you don't actually have to have that on the whole time. It's so true. I think that is the greatest gift you can give people too is yeah. presence. Presence, yeah. Um, and, and not being so distracted, which we all are in this yep. wild world that, that we do live in. Last question, yeah. Joe. <laughs> I have to let you get back to your Christmas cooking. <laughs> I have three words mm-hmm. that um, I'd love to know what they mean to you uh, in the context of your personal life but also in your yep. professional pursuits, whether they be the same thing or or separate. First word is integrity. Oh, number one and both, <laughs> particularly particularly in the work front. I think that's that's um, that's one thing that, that I know anyone that I work with could never question, but it's important to me in every day how I live. So integrity to me is everything. I love that. Motivation, we touched on. Really important. Um, without motivation, the days can feel very long and you can feel very isolated. So whether it's motivating yourself to learn something, whether it's motivating yourself to challenge yourself, whether it's motivating yourself to, I don't know, bring joy to another person or, or bring joy to yourself, you've got to start from that point of, okay, so what what is the goal? 
it can be the smallest goal in the world, but motivation is is incredibly important. The driver. Yeah, it is. It's the driver. Uh, and lastly, success. Success is a funny one. Um, from a work point of view, it's probably um, how happy my teams are on or off camera that I work with. That's, that is the key thing for me because I know if we're happy, then anyone who's watching the show is happy. Success for me probably is more about whether I've got the balance right with life, with my family, with my children, with my grandson, with my friends. That to me is is how I measure myself. It's not. It's actually not about the television. It's not about even the Beyond Blue stuff. It's about, um, you know, success for me is when I feel like I can rest easy with that head in the pillow at night and feeling like I'm getting that all right. And if I'm not getting it right, so what do I need to shift and what do I need to change? I'm so grateful for your time and your energy this morning. <laughs> if we were to take a beat right now, to yeah. take a, a small forced pause or moment of mindfulness, yes. if you will, you know, where we could just focus on our awareness for a moment and all the thing, wonderful things that you've just said and that we're, we're taking on board, would you share with me what you're feeling in this moment? In this moment, <laughs> this will give you an idea of how my brain works. I'm going, oh, there's an aeroplane going past. Wow, the boys, I wonder how long they've got to finish that storage unit they're putting in underneath. I'm looking at that Christmas table. We've got to get all the feathers around the edge of this by this afternoon. How am I going to iron it? Am I going to put towels underneath that? Uh, I've got the stone fruit, which I need to take the foil off in the fridge and put that back in the oven. And then I've got the apricots, which I need to make sure that I pair all the fruit off and then put them on. They'll only be on for 20 minutes and that'll be less. And at some point, I just, the whole time I'm just running through, like to the point, drives my husband crazy. Because if I ask him or remind him what's coming up, more than three times, he just looks at me, he's like, okay. <laughs> and stop. <laughs> so the list is always the list is running. always ticking over and running and, and I will sometimes just wake up in the middle of the night and be like, yeah, no, that was good. I, I did that yesterday. Now what's on tomorrow? And then I just go, nope, not, not the time now. So Love it's probably that. not the great mindfulness that you're after, but for me, because it's, uh, it's at the start of a day and I know what, I've, what I have the goals to get done today, it will still be, the mindfulness will come when I've done all those things. <laughs> the inner workings of Joe Griggs. I love it. But it's like you said, then it's not always what you think it is no. or what you think it should be. No. I, I mean, I, I can sit in a yoga class where I'm or a Pilates class where I'm actively trying to be <laughs> mindful, you know, and that's exactly how yeah. my head sounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, it used to be the time in the pool in the mornings. I'd organise my whole day in the pool. There you go. Which people go, it's so boring with a black line. It's like, actually, it's not. You organise, you think about everything through. So now I just do that constantly throughout my days and throughout my mornings. And if I'm on the treadmill, that's what I'm doing. I'm running through, what have I got to do? How am I going to best do it? How's going to be the most efficient way? What will I be happy if I don't get done? Okay, so what, what's realistically, what's the dream goal? What's the realistic goal? And, and how will I do it? And that's basically how I run every single day of my life. And I feel you do it very graciously. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a hot mess at the end of the day. <laughs> that is what we're talking Hard about, the it. mess, in the, in the search of the that. nest, in the constant <laughs> pursuit of the mindfulness where we live in the mess and that is where the greatest uh, miracles lie, yep. I think, in the best work that we do. Joe. just like the first time, you know, that, that I met you at the Olympics earlier this year, I walked away, I felt uplifted, I felt inspired, like I could take oh, on the world. Gorgeous. I think you just have that infectious energy, uh, you. you know, and, 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 and that effect on everyone around you. I'm so grateful for your time, your wisdom <laughs> today. Um, so many nuggets of wisdom. I'm grateful that we can share with everybody. And thank you so much for being on The Mindful Mess. So welcome. Thank you very much. 
Now, before I forget, I really want to celebrate with you the launch of my show by doing an exciting giveaway. I am going to have three lucky winners, and the first winner will win an ultimate women's wellness bundle. It'll include a Vahi fragrance pack valued at $295, a Proplenish $150 gift voucher, an M-Body pack to support your health up to $120, a Stasenko body brush, and a year of the membership with Nat Kringudis, which is like the Netflix for your hormones, valued at $490. This is the ultimate pack to get your health back on track. The second prize is going to be a mindset and performance coaching session with me, Steph Prem, a one and a half hour of power, potential and performance and tools and training to get your health and happiness back on track. I can't wait to work with you. And the third prize is a Studio PP Pilates pack, which is 10 virtual Pilates classes with me and a tote bag full of complimentary goodies to enhance your workout like Bala ankle weights, foam roller, drink bottle and Pilates socks. Okay, so to enter, I've made it super easy for you. All you need to do is follow the podcast, give it a five-star rating and leave a review on Apple Podcast. And before you hit submit, take a screenshot of your review and send it to me on Instagram at Steffi Prem. So send me your screenshot as a DM. And then as a bonus entry, you can send a screenshot of one of the first three episodes. Pick the one that you love most and share it on your Instagram stories and tag me. Again, I'm at Steffi Prem. And if you don't have an Apple device, you can just send me a DM on Instagram about what you love about the show and I'll still include you in the giveaway. The giveaway ends on the 18th of October, 23, and I'll be announcing the winner on my Instagram stories on Friday, the 20th of October, 23. I'll be sure to send you a DM and let you know if you are one of the lucky winners. I'll put all of these details in the show notes below for you, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mindful Mess. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and share from your favorite podcast platform. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are.